In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, that it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. Hello again, friends and fans of freaky, frightening, and fantastic funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast dissecting and inspecting horror comics. Bob here, your friendly neighborhood cast keeper. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. And I'd like to welcome you to the 4CF Vault for episode 22, where we will take a look at Beware Number 6 published by Trojan in 1953. This is a book that is cited by Dr. Frederick Wortham in Seduction of the Innocent. However, full disclosure, Dr. Wortham referenced this comic as a description in one of the illustrations in Seduction of the Innocent. Now, my copy of the book, which I purchased online, is a PDF file, and for some reason it has no illustrations at all. So I'm really not sure what Dr. Wortham was citing from this comic, but we'll see if we can figure out what it is as we go along. Trojan Magazines was a short-lived comic publisher, which was in operation from... 1950 until 1955. They only published four comic titles, one of them being Beware, which they had purchased from Youthful Comics. We'll talk more about that later. Not a lot of information out there about Trojan, other than the little bits I'm able to obtain from the Grand Comics database at comics.org. But no worries, we'll still take a look at the book, and we'll do that when I get back, so stick around. Dr. Satan and his Shrieks in the Night! If you think you've seen horror shows before, we warn you, this new kind of show is completely unlike anything you have ever seen. The action takes place in the audience. You'll be surrounded by the most hideous horde of horror creatures ever to walk on the earth. You'll see back from their graves, fiendish vampires who drink human blood. Living corpses, werewolves, ghost women, 1,001 nightmarish creatures. Girls, do you have the nerve to meet the invisible man? He puts his arms around you. You can't see him, but you feel his presence. What a new thrill. Dr. Satan hypnotizes everyone in the audience, including you. You'll see the slave maidens at the mercy of hideous beasts. Human sacrifices, death on the slab. So scary, your blood will run cold. Dr. Satan has appeared in person with and startled George Goble, Donald O'Connor, Orson Welles, Jack Bailey, Art Baker, and many others. Ed Johnson of the New York News wrote, At long last... I have seen a horror show even scarier than advertised. A horror show strictly in a class by itself. If it thrills you want, thrills you'll get, 
when you see Dr. Satan's Shriek in the Night. Was that great or what? Apparently these spook shows took place before or in lieu of feature films in movie theaters in the 50s and possibly into the early 60s. I'm really not sure. I don't have a lot of information. However, I am quite intrigued. So if you know anything about these spook shows, please reach out to me through the normal channels. Uh, There are several of them on YouTube. And if you watch them, these advertisements, the artwork in the background is often quite grim. And I'm wondering if any of our classic horror comic artists were involved. That's something I'm going to have to research. But anyway, yeah, there are lots of them on YouTube you can check out. But this one... With this over-the-top narration, as far as I'm concerned, is perfect. Now, before we get into Beware and Beware Number 6, just a little bit more about my copy of Seduction of the Innocent. I purchased this PDF file at Scribd. You're probably familiar with that. Uh, I made the mistake of not previewing the book before I purchased it, and had I known that, I probably wouldn't have bought it. Needless to say, I'm going to have to invest in another copy, So there's just a little buyer beware for you. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we know that this comic was cited by Dr. Wortham in Seduction of the Innocent. And the way I know that is because there is this website out there, and whoever's maintaining this, it's clearly a labor of love. Because most of the comics that were cited by Dr. Wortham in Seduction of the Innocent, he does not give us the title of the comic. He just cites a, an occurrence or a particular panel. And someone has taken it upon themselves to research and try to come up with all of these cited comics. And uh, they operate this website, and its URL is lostsoti.org. That's all one word, lostsoti.org. I'll post that link in the blog when I publish the episode. Okay, Beware was a horror comic anthology published by Trojan Magazines for 14 issues from January 1953 till March 1955. Its numbering started with 13, which it had inherited from its purchase of Beware from Youthful Magazines, but after four issues it reverted to its own numbering, starting with number 5 and ending with 14. So there are actually two issues 13 and 14 in this comic run from Trojan. Now, Beware Number 6 has a cover date of November 1953 and a cover price of 10 cents. And the cover is quite gruesome, and it's seen a lot out there. It's referenced several times uh, in websites and articles that are concerned with horror comics of the 50s. And it shows a corpse emerging from a grave in quite a state of decomposition. And there are a couple standing by, and they're shocked by this. And the woman says, it's Tim, he won't stay buried. And the man replies, I told you we'd never get away with murder. We get the title, Beware, in a creepy font across the top. Above that, we get a tagline saying, Chilling Tales of Horror. We also get the word, Beware, running down the side in a sidebar, typical of horror anthology comics of the 50s. And credits for this cover at the Grand Comics database tells us pencils and inks by Myron Fast, but with a question mark. So we're really not sure if he is the artist, but if it is Myron Fast, he's quite famous, or I probably should say infamous, in the horror comic industry. Because he was a artist, but also a publisher of pulp magazines and comic books through his company called Erie Publications. Now, not to be confused with the Erie comics from Avon, which we've covered, nor the great 
Warren Publication Erie. This was Erie Publications who published various horror anthology comic books, mixing reprinted stories from the 50s along with new stories for its time. Now, they would cease publications in 1982, so most of their work was in the 70s. And Erie Publications is best known, or rather worst known, for their ultra-gory covers and their low-brow production values, which actually added to the creepiness of the covers. I have a few issues of Erie Publications in the vault, and we should probably get to one of them someday. Now, looking at this cover, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Myron Fass who did the artwork, because it looks like it could fit in in one of those Erie Publications in the 70s. Okay, Beware number 6 has 36 pages with 5 comic stories and 1 text story. Our first story is the cover story, The Thing From Beyond, where a deformed man gets revenge on all those he feels has wronged him. That's followed by Almost Human, where a scientist creates a synthetic robot in his castle laboratory that is incredibly lifelike. Next up we have The Paper Ghost, The Man Kills His Business Partner, by throwing him into a vat of acid. That sounds interesting. That's followed by our text story, which is called Life After Death. Then we have The Phantom of the Moor, where a man walking across a moor sees a man who then disappears. And closing out the book, we have the story Borrowed Blood, where a doctor gives a gypsy child a blood transfusion in an attempt to save his life. So there's a brief synopsis of our stories in Beware Number 6. When I get back, we'll take a look at our featured story. I'll see you on the other side. Lou Ayers, as the scientist who discovered that the human brain can survive bodily destruction, can continue to function as a dynamo of living thought, generating a mental power greater than the science of man. Gene Evans, as his assistant, sharing the burden of a terrifying knowledge with ever-increasing fear and hatred. Stop it! Mr. Donovan intends to dominate the international financial scene. And a fatal accident will occur to all who happen to stand in his way. Steve Brody is the reporter who probed too deeply into the beyond and received the full impact of its deadliest forces. Death was no accident. Donovan engineered it. And the same thing could happen to us. Donovan could kill us the same way he killed Yoko. That's right. And it's too dangerous to wait any longer. Frank! Surprised? Thanks to Dr. Patrick Corey, Donovan's brain will live, thrive, and continue to grow far beyond the body of Dr. Corey. It is already able to exist in any body, anywhere it will. Knowing this, you now know too much. Nancy Davis, as the woman who was compelled to submit to the brain's satanic vibrations of evil. Starring Lou Ayers and future First Lady Nancy Davis, Donovan's brain was in the movie theaters around the same time as our featured comic, Beware Number 6, was on the 
spinner racks and newsstands. And our featured story for Beware Number 6 is the first story and cover story, although I say cover story loosely because, as is often the case, the cover is only remotely related to this story. And that's called The Thing From Beyond. Now, the only credits I have for this are pencils and inks by future founder of Erie Publications, Myron Fass. And this can be verified by Fass's signature in the first panel. And the thing from beyond tells the story of Hugo, the town caretaker of the cemetery and local hunchback. And although this comic appears to take place in a contemporary setting for 1953, Hugo appears as if he had just dropped in from the Middle Ages with this strange tunic that he's wearing. But anyway, he's the graveyard caretaker, and he only had one ambition to be loved, and he approached the local pretty girl, Virginia Barton, at the town festival, and that upset her boyfriend, Carl. So Carl beats up Hugo and threatens him, and tells them to leave town, we don't need you here at the town festival. And Hugo scurries away, rejected. But somehow he gets together his life savings and purchases a small dry goods store in town. However, his prices and his appearance keep the customers away and he can't get any business. So he's forced into bankruptcy. So he goes to see Foster, the town banker, who rejects his application for a loan based on the fact that he doesn't have any credit. So Hugo withdraws back to the cemetery and his life as its caretaker. But he swears revenge on these two men who have wronged him, the banker and the boyfriend of the young girl, who happens to be a farmer. But Hugo decides he has one more alternative, so he visits the local surgeon, Dr. Tollins, to have some plastic surgery apparently done to his face. So he has his surgery completed. One month later, he returns to the doctor's office. Now, the doctor had made no promises to Hugo that this surgery would be successful. And as it turns out, it's not. His face is actually uglier than it was before. So he runs off into the night and promises revenge on the doctor as well. So we're told that there are four people who Hugo hated. However, he's only had a run-in with three. So I think this is a bit of a plot hole here. We have the farm boy, we have the banker, and we have the doctor. But we're told it's four people. So Hugo comes to Carl's farm and booby traps his threshing machine. And as Carl climbs into the machine and starts it up, an accident occurs and both of his hands are chopped off. And we get this pretty gruesome panel here showing Carl lying in a pool of blood with his recently removed hands lying in front of him. And he's begging Hugo, please save me, I'm dying, I can't stand this horrible pain. That's it, Carl, beg me, haha, I'm not the helpless little hunchback anymore, am I? Beg me, Carl, beg me and die. So... Hugo lets Carl bleed to death, and he takes his body back to his quarters, which we'll assume is somewhere in the cemetery, and he tells Carl's body that he'll soon have company. Your hands need brains to guide them, business brains. Now, I didn't mention this earlier, but there was a remark made that Carl, the farmer, had strong hands, so that's what Hugo's referring to. So a few days later, as Victor went to work one morning, now, we don't really know who Victor is. Carl's friend, maybe? I'm not sure. But Hugo is watching Victor walk to work, and he's approaching a bridge. And we can see that Hugo has a saw in his hand, so he's booby-trapped the bridge. And Victor starts to cross it and falls to his death. So now he has two bodies. The next night, he visits Foster the banker. 
wearing a Halloween mask, even though he's already terrifying. He wears a Halloween mask and scares Foster into having a heart attack. So that was step three. And finally, he goes to visit the good doctor who performed the plastic surgery on him. And after a long night's work for the doctor, he decides to have a little drink, but somehow Hugo has swapped his booze for poison. The doctor takes a drink, and Hugo makes the comment, your eyes should have noticed the switch doctor, now you'll never see again. We have four deaths within a month, and the townspeople muttered, but Hugo's plan was airtight. There was no way they could convict him. And we see in Hugo's lair that he has all four bodies stored in a coffin. Now, why there was no burial, you know, viewing funerals for these guys and somehow he's hiding these bodies but no one's wondering where they are i'm not sure but we're not supposed to think about that it's a horror comic right so what hugo proceeds to do is he removes the brain from the smart guy the hands from the strong guy the heart from the banker and the eyes from the doctor and we're not really shown how he does this but he somehow takes these four bodies and creates a Frankenstein's creature sort of character by sewing their body parts together and he abuses it every night. He beats it, kicks it, and finally when he tires of that he dumps it into the local swamp. But as he's walking away from the swamp, of course the, this patchwork corpse of his four enemies rises from the swamp and decides to take revenge on Hugo. So Hugo thinks since these guys are gone, he can go visit the local pretty girl, Virginia. But as he does, the corpse approaches Hugo. Hugo runs away with the corpse following him, and he heads to the swamp where the corpse catches up with him. Both of them go into the water of the swamp, and Hugo is drowned and spends eternity with his friend, the four-person corpse. And we're told by our narrator, who, by the way, is off-page. This book is not hosted. The townspeople never found Hugo, but seven years later, a tree arose, a tree never before seen by human eyes, a strange tree bearing strange fruit, tiny hands, eyes, brains, and one very rare black heart. Final mocking tribute to Hugo, the caretaker, whose final resting place produced this malevolent monstrosity. And that's how our story ends. Uh, so, tons of plot holes. Uh, it's a typical revenge story with a bit of morality tale thrown in at the end. Uh, the thing that makes this story interesting, at least in my opinion, is the artwork. It's that lowbrow, cheap, yet very gory artwork that Fass would be better known for when he establishes eerie publications later on. There certainly are several panels with gratuitous gore that... I'm sure Dr. Wortham wouldn't have been very happy with, and uh, it's no surprise that he cited this comic in Seduction of the Innocent. We just don't know what exactly he was citing, but he had plenty of things to pick from. All in all, a typical 50s horror comic story that was corrupting the morals of little boys and girls in America. So that's going to do it for our featured story, The Thing from Beyond. But before we close up the vault, we will energize the random comic generator to see what it kicks back at us for next episode. Okay, and it looks like we're returning to Gold Key. We just covered that with the Dark Shadows episode. 
and our title is The Occult Files of Dr. Spector, number five, published by Gold Key in 1973. It's got a beautiful painted cover, and we'll talk about that next time. So that's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, as always, you can do that by sending me an email to fourcolorfear.com. You can visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can check out the Facebook group, search for Four Color Fear on Facebook. And remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four, C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.